Welcome to Grazia Life Advice, Grazia Magazine's podcast. I'm Hattie Crisell and each week I speak to women worth listening to, asking them to share six pieces of advice they really value and the worst piece of advice they've ever received. This week's guest is Norma Kamali, the legendary New York fashion designer. Norma opened her first boutique on East 53rd Street in 1968 and became an essential part of the fashion and nightlife scene. She dressed Mick Jagger, the New York Dolls and Grace Jones. She even dressed the bouncers at Studio 54 in her trademark sleeping bag coats. She put Lycra into swimwear and reinvented it for modern women. Norma's business is still thriving and when I met her in London it was very hard to believe that she is now 73 years old. Enjoy this one and let me know what you think of it on Twitter or Instagram with the hashtag Grazia Life Advice. But for now, over to Norma. What brings you to London on this occasion? Um, I'm visiting London for work. Um, London is very special for me in a lot of ways, but uh, when I graduated FIT, I had a job interview uh, in the garment industry, and I was very excited about it. And the the guy I went to see told me to put my portfolio down and come to his desk and turn around for him. Oh, God. And I was so humiliated and embarrassed, I ran out crying with my portfolio. And so I thought... I. I don't want to do this. I don't want to be in this fashion business. It's horrible. This is terrible. I'm going to travel. So I got a job at Northwest Airlines to sell, first to do flight arrivals and then to sell in the office. And I was working on a Univac computer. And this is early 60s. And the benefit and my goal for being there was to travel. And so... My first trip was to London, and it was $29 round trip. And when I first arrived in London, I was staying just off Sloan Square in a little boarding house for $6 a night. And I remember coming out and seeing this man on Sloan Square, and I said, are there any shops here? And he said, I think there are some down the road. And so I said, okay. And I'm walking, and everything is very gray, And then all of a sudden, I'm walking along and I hear music coming out into the street. And I keep walking and walking faster and faster to the sound, like, you know, to the light. And (laughs) there was this big splash of color in the front of this store. And it was like, oh, my God, I found myself. What was this place? It was a shop that uh, was one of the first shops on the King's Road. And after that, I had to come here every weekend. I mean, then I saw some other little stores that were like it with the energy and listening to this new music and everything was so different and girls wearing short skirts above their knees. You weren't already seeing that in New York? Well, it was hardly even here. Yeah. This was just the beginning of it. It wasn't everybody on the street. It was like, you have to understand, I was still wearing pantyhose that were stockings with garter belts as everyone else in London was too. Yeah. Except for these pockets of what is that? 
legs showing above where the garter belt is. How can that be? So it was just something radical was happening. And you could tell through fashion. And so coming every weekend for $29 round trip, I had a routine and I got to know everything and what was going on and meeting a lot of people and really feeling I found my soul and personality here. And I think even my work today and the reason we have a great UK following is that there's a quirkiness about what I do and an independence about what I do that's very typical British fashion, but also British personality. Yeah. So I'm a little crazy, and I can put on a normal front, like you can trust me, but I am a little crazy. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) A little eccentric, maybe that's better. I love that. So, I mean, with the kind of perspective that you have over the fashion industry going back five, six decades? uh, 51 years. 51 years. Okay, pretty impressive. Not very many people have that kind of longevity (laughs) in this industry. Um, What do you think of fashion now? And what are you excited about now? Mm -hmm. Well, the 60s were an incredibly disruptive, revolutionary time. And I found myself there. And I was moved by the disruption. And I'm as excited now about what's happening because I I see a strong connection to the disruption again. So one of the things I noticed um, that was very significant about what's happening now is in the 70s, as a sort of the evolution of the 60s, the free-spirited creative expression that happened when people dressed was so exciting. I mean, you could go shopping with your boyfriends or male friends and go to Antiquarius or anywhere, and if a shirt fit him and he liked it, he would buy it. If it fit you, maybe you would buy it if you both loved that shirt. Or or sharing clothes or not looking at the gender of the style, but do you like the style? You wanted to have your individual look that you created yourself. You didn't want to look like anybody else ever. And so Mick Jagger was sort of a very symbolic figure as I look back because he he could swish like a girl and be sexy to men and women. And he wore women's clothes and he represented a new ideology on how a man could be. He wasn't the only one, but he was sort of symbolic for that. And it gave a lot of guys a lot of freedom to show their feminine side. I, I think um, there's a parallel now to the 70s. I started to see editorials of guys in my clothes and thinking, oh my God, hallelujah, this is amazing. And then I was doing a photo shoot and the assistant hairdresser was carrying on and I said, what's wrong with you? What, like, hello? And he said, I I just want to try on everything. And so after we did our shoot, I said, let's 
take some photos um, and put some things on you. And so we did. And the happiness and the joy I saw on his face and everybody else's face. So the next photo shoot, I know a great model who's adorable and she's very androgynous and she has a boyfriend who's adorable and he's androgynous and they were perfect. So I did a photo shoot with them and another couple and it just exploded with energy and everybody was laughing and up and just joyous because they're seeing something they haven't seen before and it was just like I felt when I walked into the door that shop on King's Road that oh my god a door is opening and now I see it more and more everywhere but it's also has a long life ahead because Gen Z they don't have lines or or walls up between gender, race, religion, nothing, politics. They just believe in the right thing and just living life in the purest, most wonderful way. Um, Well, we should get to your advice. And I wanted to say, so your first one really is about fitness. And I just want to say for people who can't see you that you look fantastic. Um, So I think you're in a good position to offer this advice. So tell me what it is. Um, well, a healthy lifestyle is really very simple. Um, it's diet, fitness, and sleep. And sleep is in, in a pie chart of those three, 50%, and the other 25, 25. And those three principles are free, really. You're going to eat anyway. So what are you choosing to eat? Um, you must move. And you don't have to belong to a gym. You can go up 50 flights of steps if you want to for exercise. You can find ways to move, walk, or work out. And having the ability to adapt your day in order to have a good night's sleep is really key. And I say adapt your day instead of adapt your sleep because now we're so stressed out that meditation is an important inclusion in that plan. So when you go to sleep, your body from working out is ready to be restored. Indigestion is not going to keep you awake because your digestive juices are doing the right thing because you've put the right food into your body. And then your mind, because you're giving it a break through a meditation, is also not going to keep you up. And you know when you're crazy with thought that you can't shut it off. And so meditation is actually almost a requirement. How how much do you sleep? How many hours a night do you sleep? I'm I'm an eight-hour person. Lovely. (laughs) I'm an eight-hour person, but it doesn't mean I can get that all the time, but that's what I know. So one of the things that's very important is to figure out what is yours. And so the best way to do it is you look at when you wake up in the morning, did you feel good? Well, how many hours did I sleep last night? You do that a few times. And if it 
keeps turning out to be six hours, then guess what? You're a six-hour person. That's okay. If you're a four-hour person, and there are people that are, it's important to keep in mind that anything you can do to extend that time gives your body more time to get rid of the toxins, to restore everything, to give your organs a rest. Yeah, I mean, you have an incredibly um, busy and successful career, which you've been carrying on, as we said, for five decades. So there must be periods where it's difficult to to maintain the healthy lifestyle and the sleep and the good diet and the exercise. How do you cope with those times? Um, you try to limit the amount of time that that happens. Yeah, it does happen. Um, I'm not working out while I'm traveling. I'm, I'm moving around a lot. By the end of this day, I'm, I'm just going to want to go to sleep. But when I go home, I'm looking forward to doing a, sort of not a catch-up, but really going back to my ultimate workout routine so yeah. I can get back into it. But I'm here and I'm doing my um, smoothies with, the, with nutrient powders that I've been using for some time now. And then every day in my calendar... No matter how busy the day, I block out 4.30 to 5.30, and my assistant is not allowed under any circumstances to book anything in there. I'm in at 6 o'clock in the morning, and I leave at after 6. So that hour for me is critical, and it's my time. So if you put things in your calendar as if it's an appointment that are for you, you'll respect that time. Yeah, I love that. I'm going to start putting my own appointments in no, my No, it's diary. really, it's a trick. It, it <laughs> stops you from saying to, yes yeah. to yeah. too much. Mm-hmm. I think we've actually rolled together um, the first couple of pieces of advice there, but actually your first piece of advice, you said, do all you can to stay fit and healthy. It's empowering with clothes on and off. Yes. So if you feel good about your body, this is female talking. We are packed up tight with every self-image issue and insecurity and uh, our relationship with food, all of that. It's just, it's universal. We all have it. But the thing that keeps you motivated is when you're doing these things and you actually feel good about what you see in the mirror. You actually feel good about how you feel. And when you're when you have power with your body and your mind because you're meditating and you're trying to do this sleep thing to to really give you a balance between mind and body, it's an empowerment that you can't beat. And and the less we hide what we fear like the less we hide what we're insecure about the more powerful we are so if we're wearing like tons of makeup or spanks and whatever else we know that this isn't the real me and I'm not as good as I should be but when you can feel good about yourself then it's like this is me this is who I am and this is what you're going to get 
and this is what we have to get done. Yeah. Um, your third piece of advice is actually about the meditation and mm-hmm. how important it is to meditate daily. So how do you kind of maintain your meditation habit and are there ever times where you've kind of fallen out of that habit because I think so many people really struggle to keep it going with meditation so first of all another correlation to the 70s so in 1970 I studied TM and got my mantra and I've been meditating since then but I I do it in my way and that's what meditation should be it should be custom for you you customize it me personally I use meditation, um, and like I said, I customize it. And sometimes when I'm very stressed about something, which in fashion could be every half hour, <laughs> but, uh, but those high stress, I will get up instead of responding in the way I want to respond. I will breathe, get up, excuse myself, go to the bathroom, close the door, turn off the light, put the lid down, sit for a second and just calm myself and then meditate and nobody will bother me and it's a tip I recommend for everyone if you need to just like get yourself into a place where you can calm down and and learn how to free all of this from your mind so that after you finish meditating you'll make a better decision yeah, I think we could all definitely use a bit of that. I might try a little bit of a bathroom meditation <laughs> later, maybe. Um, tell me your fourth piece of advice. Well, we talked about an empowered woman being invincible. So if you feel that personal power, um, there's nothing you can't do. I mean, mm-hmm. women are ingenious. We have We have endurance. We have strength. We have... Um, humility. We we have a power that's so silent, but it's silent and strong. And um, when you feel good about yourself, you can use that power. And the and the planet needs that balance right now, and they need feminine power um, because it's not destructive. It's mm. it's it's uh, nurturing and it's. Um, instructive and it's um, it's a power that's gentle yeah I wanted to ask you um, with your kind of perspective over the industry you talked about that horrible job interview that you had back Mm -hmm. in the 60s how do you feel um, the industry has changed for women over the last 50 years Um, first of all being an entrepreneur um, at a young age, um, knowing nothing except how to design or think, think I knew what I wanted to do. I didn't even know how to design. And then I realized that um, running a company is, my God, there's so much involved. There's people, there's structure. And then there's the outside world where women weren't running companies and I was in a minority that was very minority and very very sort of powerless and when I would want to get advice I didn't have other women to go to and so when I would ask men for advice 
They would speak to me as if I was a child. God. Do mansplaining forever, (laughs) where I just would have to breathe my way through, but still be extremely grateful that they gave me any time. There wasn't a reason for me to say I wasn't being treated fairly because there weren't many other examples of what was fair for a woman who dared to run a company, who was a designer, so she has to be a ditz. She can't know anything. Right, because you're the creative one. Between being a woman and a designer, and if I ever had to go to a bank or have that meeting... Let me tell you, I prepared how I looked. I would wear a suit all the time. I would try to not distract them by anything I had on because it would always be, oh, what are you wearing there? That's so quirky or whatever. (laughs) And then it would be a conversation about me. And so I would really tone down, become somebody else, play act to, to just talk about the what I wanted to get done. And there were times where um, I had horrible uh, objectification on levels that are unspeakable, unspeakable. I mean, and even just a few years ago, I was in a negotiation and it was all men. So there was another guy at the table who was sort of challenging me. And in the end, I actually won the challenge in a gentle way. And everybody sort of said, great, Norma, thanks for making this work. It's We appreciate it. It was like a very nice ending. And the guy that I was opposing waited till the end of the line of everyone leaving this room. And he said, okay, go ahead. And he patted me on the butt oh my and gosh. said, good job. And so the rage in me had to be contained because if I spoke about it, everything I accomplished in that room was gone. Yeah. But it's that those little things over and over and over Mm -hmm. again. And and sometimes it seems like it's daily. And it still exists. I want you to know it's it's not as prevalent and men are now afraid to be shamed or but it's still subliminal there I've just had a conversation two weeks ago with this guy a distributor for some of the wellness things we're doing and he said now how are you girls doing he was like girls do that I was like okay you keep calling us girls but I can tell you right now we're women And I also have a feeling that the women in this room may be making more money than you are. (laughs) Good for you. So let's get this in perspective here. It's like, (laughs) stop. (laughs) Okay. Your fifth piece of advice is know your purpose for this lifetime. Well, I think this is the best advice I'm going to give. Because for me, um, it's, it's probably the most profound understanding of who I am. And we're always in discovery of who we are, and we're changing all the time. But there's a core of who we are that we really do know if we pay attention. And I think we're all brought into this lifetime for a purpose. You're not just here to be and to float from day to day and let the, the 
day pull you along, you, in the way you would organize your calendar, you have a plan for each day. Well, if you have a, a purpose, it's sort of a plan, and then everything that you do when you make a decision, the decision would be towards that plan, not off somewhere else. And as you make decisions for yourself through your life, if you're staying on a plan that respects your purpose, you really get so much more done. It's really so helpful. Yeah, I like the idea of it. So what's your purpose? So uh, I've known for a long time that the job I do best is making women feel good about themselves. I, I genuinely want that to happen. And I think I'm good at it. I think I can make women feel good, not just with clothes, but maybe some thoughts about wellness and other things and anything I can share. If these nutrient powders are working for me, I want to then tell everybody else so maybe they can try them and it might help them. I think having women with gentle power is is an exciting concept to me. And so my life purpose is basically to do that, to to share all of my experience, anything I can to help other women. And and I see that as as a as a, an important purpose for me. Mm. And as a kind of guiding and philosophy. And so it guides everything I do. And your sixth piece of advice is about generosity so tell me what what would you advise on that well I I learned totally by accident that when I give something happens that um, brings so much not just joy but it's very uplifting but it's like my world gets blessed and I'm not even understanding why and I didn't relate it to anything but uh, it started when I um, I went to a public school in the States and in, in New York City and it was uh, a school I knew I could get a scholarship to if I graduated and they had a great art course but it was a very tough school um, very intense, big school, 4,000 students, and there was one small art department. And this is in the 60s. You could get beaten up by women. It was an all-girls school. So it was crazy, but I felt such gratitude towards it because the instructors I had were great. I got scholarships, painting grants. I was just blessed in there. So in the early 80s, they had a lot of problems. They it went co-ed, and then they asked me to come in and help them. And so I said, does the art house still exist? And they said, yes. Yeah. So I said, well, can I go to the art house and spend some time with the students? And they said, no, 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 you may not want to do that. <laughs> and I said, look, I'm born and raised in New York. I'm I'm tough. I'm not, you not know, gonna this shock is me. not going to, and I <laughs> came to the school, so let me go up, and I, I remember walking into what was my homeroom class, and the noise is like crazy, and everybody's talking, and, and I'm trying to get their attention, 
And they're like really not wanting to even look at me. They're not even facing me. So I finally get their attention, some of them. And uh, this one girl who wasn't even facing me, she was putting on makeup and she raised her hand and she said, "Um, so I said I'm here to to spend some time and see what's going on. And she said, well, what's in it for you? And I said, um, wow, <laughs> that's a good question. <laughs> and, and I said, well, you know, I sat in the same chair you sat in, and I didn't come from a family with a lot of money. Um, I didn't know what I would do because there weren't careers in art. So I was fearful all the time, uh, and I knew if, if I didn't get a scholarship, I may not get a job. But um, I did, and I own my own company. And I said, no, I want to help you get that. I, I think it's only right that you do. I think there should be a level of playing field for everybody, even if you can only afford to be in this school. So that's why I'm here. So I started to develop trust with them, and then I would mentor them, and I redid the room with cutting tables and sewing machines and I made it into a fashion class and um and I was so rewarded personally every time I left them I felt such joy and then I saw they felt joy and then the give back was seeing how some of them literally evolved and became Mm -hmm wonderful young adults and I'm still in touch with them and then I just noticed that my life changed there were things that were changing and I didn't I didn't really relate it to anything and I thought I just think there's a reflection of this that's coming back to me that I I didn't even think about or expect and you shouldn't think that that will happen but I actually think it does like in a karma kind of way Absolutely, mm. absolutely. Yeah, that's lovely. Your bad advice, finally, the worst piece of advice you've ever received was to sell your company? Yeah, so, the, well, everybody is aware of the fact that a designer's lifespan is, you know, not that great. There's Some have two years, some have five years, some have ten years. So a lot of protective advice was, you're doing well now, you can really monetize on this, make a lot of money, and then you can do whatever you want. And I was like, I am doing what I want. <laughs> I'm living, I wanted, my goal was to live a creative life. And I knew the only way to do that would be to be independent. And it would be a struggle. And I would have many sleepless nights and many nights crying myself to sleep. But it's certainly worth it if you can have a creative life. And um, so that that was the advice that was smart advice, but not particularly for me. And I don't think anybody expected me to get past five years, never mind 10 or 50. It is and remarkable. I, I'm, I'm shocked myself, but I just didn't think of it... Um, as something I wouldn't be doing. I always assumed that that would at least be what I would do. Yeah, and well, that paid off, so. Well, I think so. And so I could have had um, a lot of money to do promotion and advertising had I brought in partners, and I could have been 
famous and like this is, you know, Norma Kamali, but I didn't care. I mean, famous is not a creative life, you know, famous sometimes ends your life, ends your fame life and shortens it. So I had the sense that if I didn't, if I wasn't famous enough, that famous, famous, I could sneak through each decade yeah. and nobody would notice. And so there's something to not being a celebrity or not being the most famous designer in the world. And I believe that's an important part of it. So I may not be the richest or most famous designer in the world, but I'm living a creative life, and that was my purpose. That's fantastic. Well, you've been a really inspiring guest. Thank you so much for your advice. Thank you. Thanks so much to Norma. Shop her latest collection at normakamali.com, as well as at netaporter and matchesfashion.com. If you like the Grazia Life Advice podcast, please help us out by subscribing, rating it, reviewing it or sharing it. See you next week for more advice from women worth listening to. Listener.